This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. My fellow Americans, how are you? It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program. I have now in the last 24 hours, so we got a call yesterday from my affiliate in Southern Pines, North Carolina, WEB. And I know I've got listeners up there. So this was the first station that took a chance on taking my show outside of Georgia. And so I got a lot of love for the station to begin with, but I know I get a ton of listeners from up there because they call all the time. And now I've got like two emails in the last 24 hours from people wanting me to come up and play golf, drink beer, and do talk radio. And I got a hard time saying no to that. Um, so maybe I, I got to find a way to get up to get up there and hit golf balls. But I'm so bad. I'm getting better, but I'm so bad. I don't like to play golf with people who aren't real good friends of mine because I don't want to frustrate them. But I may have to go tear up Pinehurst. <laughs> okay. I want to switch gears completely. It's a Friday. It's my show. You can get your own show. I'm allowed. I want, I want to talk to you about something. A buddy of mine sent me an email this morning, and it's funny because it's the second conversation this week I've had with someone on this topic. So a friend of mine, I won't go into details. Uh, One day this guy's going to build my house for me when I make it big because I have a big house in my head to buy, to build. I got the, the, the architecture firm I want. It's called Historical Concepts. It's like this beautiful neoclassical Greek revival home. It's stuck in my head. I want it built. He's going to build it. But he, so he, he texted me this morning. He says he, he's kicking himself because he's, he's at a Home Depot. And there's a guy wheeling out a ginormous load of stuff. And the clerk stops the guy and, and says, you got to pay for that. You haven't paid for that. And, and the guy insists that he's paid for it and clearly has not paid for it. And my buddy says it was so frustrating. He and several other guys are looking at each other as this this person's trying to steal all the stuff from Home Depot. And it was like, what, what do we do? Do we do so? Do we intervene? Do we do we do something? And he didn't. And he felt a little down on himself for, for not having stepped in to help the clerk. This is the second time this week this has happened to me. So uh, the other day, a buddy of mine, uh, he this was actually a phone call from a friend who was asking me what he, what he should do, that he stumbled upon three guys who were fighting. And it was very clear to him that it was one aggressor victimizing someone and a third person had stepped in to try to help. And the situation was starting to get out of control. And he thought, should I intervene? Should I do something? He wound up calling the police, um, but he wanted to go help and he didn't help. And he was thinking of Daniel Penny, the situation in New York, and the increasing number of times in progressive areas of this country where the Good Samaritan gets hurt or, or doesn't get hurt, but gets uh, punished for trying to help. 
There are some states with good Samaritan laws where if you try to intervene to help someone in distress, you can't be sued even if you cause injury. But when it comes to progressive prosecutors, if somebody, if the bad guy gets hurt, you're the new bad guy. I am a big fan of the uh, Marvel series Daredevil. It had been on Netflix, and it is now on um, Disney+. Plus. If you haven't seen it, uh, you, you, really, you, you really, really should see the Daredevil series. On, it's on Disney Plus now. I really like it, and I'm glad they're bringing it back. Uh, so the guy who plays Daredevil is actually a pretty devout practicing Catholic. He's British. Charlie Cox is his name. And Daredevil is a uh, superhero who takes his faith seriously. And there's an ongoing monologue and commentary about faith in the series. And I, and I, I really like it. I'm not Catholic. I got a lot of Catholic friends, though. I know the, they take their faith deeply seriously. And I just, I love the meta commentary on faith and religion and um, being someone who intervenes to help those who can't help themselves. But at the end, uh, there's a, the, the bad guy is Kingpin. He, he's the big bad guy. And I can't, I, I need to pull the audio and see if I can like, like delete the profanity in it to play it. But you, you know the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible? Um, it, it is a, it's, it's one of the stories where there's a lot that you could, you could preach on. Uh, Luke, it's from Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "How must what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day... He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus replied, go and do likewise. Now that's the story. There's a lot of there's a lot you can dig into this, including the Samaritan. The Samaritan is from the uh, portion of... Um, of Israel that had become Israel, Judah and Israel divided the kingdoms. Uh, Israel fell, of course, first, and that area was called Samaria. The those in Judah did not like them; they were uh, considered beneath the Jews. They had walked out on um, uh, what's his name, uh, Solomon's son, and started the new kingdom. And it just there was a, a big issue there. And yet here's the Samaritan, the man everyone had held in contempt. The man who was considered a, a second-class citizen, essentially, he's the one who takes pity on the man with robbers. There's a lot. There's a lot to say there. But so in Daredevil, Kingpin is in the back of this police truck, and he brings up this parable of the Good Samaritan, and he says, "You know, I, I used to think perhaps I was the Samaritan, 
and I took care of the people. He says, but no, I was not the Samaritan. And I was not the Levite either who came and saw and passed on the other side. But maybe perhaps I was the priest, except the priest walked to the other side of the road too and gave no service, and I surely was not the man on the ground. He says, I know I was the character, but for whom the story could not be told. I realized as I grew in my position, I am the central character in the story who no one names, but for whom the story could not have been told. I am the ill intent that left that man battered, bleeding, and on the verge of death. And you know, that is a character in the story. You don't see that character. That character is not named. That character, the ill intent of the robbers, though, is there. And I was, I, you know, I, I think about that when, when these conversations come up with friends of mine who they're like, I didn't act, I wanted to act, and I didn't act, and now I feel worthless because I didn't act. Now, I, I would say, one, if you're in a situation like a Home Depot, uh, they've got security, they've got procedures in place, and you intervening could actually make the situation worse than if you let the company take care of it themselves. And if they don't take care of it, that's their choice. You know, Lululemon uh, doesn't uh, it doesn't allow enforcement of shopkeeping. You can go into Lululemon, steal whatever you want, walk away, and you're going to get away with it more likely than not. It's company policy. In fact, uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, they had two employees who filmed uh, shoplifters those shoplifters went to another Lululemon, did it again, and, and the, these two employees handed their video of the guys over as proof of the shoplifting. They got fired. They lost their job for doing the right thing. Some companies and people up in the air are, are just driving people insane these days. You do the right thing, you get punished. Daniel Penny uh, being charged with manslaughter for saving people in the New York subway from a crazy man who was harassing and assaulting people on the train. I understand the hesitancy. We are dealing with the ill intent. And there is a lot of ill intent in America today. And you often don't see it and occasionally it spills over. If you're in a if you're in a business, if you're in a Home Depot and you see somebody shoplifting, you, you report it. But stay out of the way because in a lot of cases those places have procedures in place. And they got to follow those procedures. And you could be costing an employee their job if you do something to try to intervene and it causes a problem. You could get someone in trouble. And you got to be mindful of that. that. That's on them and that's their company policy. But Home Depot does go after shoplifters. Unlike Lululemon, Home Depot does try to do it. They have procedures in place. Uh, you don't recognize the security when you're at Home Depot, but it's there. Contrast that with my other friend who just saw people in the wild. Here's my take on that and my take for all of you. We live in a society where a lot of people are incentivized to not take action, who are incentivized to not do the right thing. Do the right thing. However, in a lot of situations these days, a lot of crazy people carrying guns around. If you've got a family, your responsibility is to your family first. And that sucks because 
you've got a conscience and a calling to love your neighbor and do the right thing. And if you can, in this case, he called the police. I think he did the right thing by calling the police who were able to show up and take care of the situation instead of rushing in to try to do it and, and getting himself hurt. It's a gut call these days, but I got to tell you, if you're in public and you see something awry and you feel compelled to help, help. Damn the consequences of the wokes and the progressives who might want to punish you for doing the right thing. Do the right thing. If you're in a business, let the business handle it. If you're in the wild, out there on the subway, in the middle of your city, wherever you are, and you see something bad and you have the opportunity to help, help if you can, help. But you've also got responsibilities, and, and don't be ashamed that you can't help when you got to worry about your kid or your wife or, or your husband, whatever the situation may be. Help if you can. It is sad, though, and it's a sad commentary on the rest of society that we have been put in this situation now because of a bunch of people who have chosen to decline, who have chosen to allow our cities to decline, that you must second guess whether doing the right thing is worth it or not. I will tell you this. You may suffer, and there may be consequence. But if there's a consequence for doing the right thing, so be it. Do the right thing if you can. If you're able and willing to do the right thing, do the right thing, even when those around you don't recognize it as the right thing, but you know it's the right thing to do. We live in a world where the ill intent of this world is putting people in unfortunate situations, and you have the opportunity if you're called to do it, to be the Good Samaritan. It's an open line Friday, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? Have you noticed the evolution of the Hunter Biden cocaine in the White House story? We went from, uh, well, it clearly wasn't Hunter Biden. It was a tourist to, well, it was in a more sensitive spot in the White House than uh, the cubbyhole where they said it was to, who cares if there's cocaine at the White House? Everybody does it. And it was just a little bit. I, I'm really, I'm shocked by the press corps. So I, I happen to know there is a reporter in Washington, D.C., who sells drugs. He's a, a reporter for, well, I don't know if he's still with a prominent, he was with a prominent major news outlet. Uh, and I have had more than one person tell me that he supplements his income being a drug dealer. Uh, and the number of people in the press in America who consume drugs, particularly cocaine or marijuana, is increasing, uh, is significant, and they are extremely dismissive of drug culture stuff because a lot of them do it. And you see this play out in how they cover the story. You got a lot of cokeheads covering the story, dismissing the story is no big deal because they don't want to be caught with their cocaine. I mean, some of them are dealers. And by the way, I'm not making that up. This is not hypothetical. I'm, I'm not going to tell you who the person is. But I was tipped off to a friend of mine who didn't like the guy. I was like, okay, yeah, you should say that. But then two separate associates of mine in Washington, D.C. mentioned that this guy supplements his income selling drugs, and he was a reporter for a major news network. And I'm sure there are plenty of others out there who do this sort of stuff. And they're deeply dismissive of it. And you and I know darn well 
if this was the Trump White House, they would be all over it. These same cokeheads would be all over the story denying they did it if it was a Trump story. Oh, I bet it was Donald Trump Jr. I mean, remember when Donald Trump Jr. was at the, the 2020 Republican convention and his eyes looked a little glassy? They're like, that's the cocaine. It's the cocaine. They all knew the signs, didn't they? But it's the Biden White House. And you got to cover for Joe Biden and his family and his cokeheads. The amount of, oh, Hunter Biden's just a deeply screwed up individual and Joe Biden's doing the best he can. Yeah, okay. But you're also letting your kid get away with stuff. I understand having a kid who's a crackhead. Thankfully, I don't have one, but I know people who have children who have struggled with addiction. But it seems that Joe's idea of helping his son is just to enable him and put him in positions where he can get away with stuff, turning a blind eye to it. And Joe Biden won't even own up to the fact that he's got a grandkid, that Hunter Biden knocked up some stripper. He's got a grandkid in Arkansas, and he doesn't even encourage his son to take responsibility for that. Apparently, Joe Biden's way of helping Hunter Biden is to ensure Hunter Biden does not have to take responsibility for anything in his life. And we can continue the fiction that the grandkid in Arkansas isn't his grandkid, even though his son is paying child support. That tells me there's a terrible character issue within the family. It also tells me there's a lot of terrible character issues within the press corps who would never, ever let a Republican White House get away with saying, well, we don't know where the cocaine came from and we're probably not going to be able to find it out either. It's absurd. This is commentary on CBS. And we have been told political by Secret Service folks for days that we may never know who is the person who left this behind, dropped it, it fell out their bag, threw it away, whatever the case may be, um, which, you know, you, you talk to folks used to work in the White House. They find that a little hard to believe. There are a lot of cameras everywhere in this White House. Um, and so they're, they're hopeful that that cleans it up. But this is not a White House that wants to have any conversation about um cocaine where it was for obvious reasons it's not a good look for any white house but especially um this one with all the conspiracy theories that are surrounding um this issue and the cocaine gate i guess as as some folks have been calling it online as you say lots of cameras in that building hard to believe they can't track down who it belongs to exactly and that by the way was msnbc not cbs exactly though lots of cameras and they don't seem to be care at all about it Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. We've reached possibly the open container portion of Open Line Friday. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, let's talk about growth or rather degrowth. I saw this term for the first time yesterday. There was a piece, I want to say it was in the New Yorker from a progressive who was upset about growth and what do we need to do about growth? And, and, and one of his concerns is the push to go to renewable energy and the steps that would need to be taken for renewable energy and, and was actually a realistic in the fact that uh, really, uh, to get to the renewable energy you need, you've got to use a lot of fossil fuels to get to it. I mean, the bulldozers to dig to get to the lithium, uh, they're not going to be electric-powered bulldozers. 
It was a fascinating article, but but one of the things I noticed was he did not want to say decline. He wanted to say degrowth. And, and the underlying idea and, and the presupposition is what we get more and more from the environmentalist movement is that we have it too good. We have it too good. And we, the people, in some capacity, need to slow down and give up our way of life in some way, in some capacity, and slow down and decline. And I just, it goes back to what I've been saying lately, that decline really is a choice. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have made that choice. Bill McKibben is the writer at The New Yorker. John Maynard Keynes once observed that dating from, say, to 2,000 years before Christ, down to the beginning of the 18th century, there was no great change in the standard of life of the average man living in the civilized centers of the earth. Ups and downs entire, certainly. Visitations of plague, famine, and war. Golden intervals, but no progress. Violent change. At best, Keynes calculated, the average standard of living had no more than doubled in the previous four millennia, essentially because when the epoch began, we already knew about fire, banking, the sale, the plow, mathematics. We learned little new that would have accelerated economic growth. And throughout that stretch, the planet mostly ran on the muscles of people and animals, supplanted by the power of wind and water. Then, in the 18th and 19th century, we started to harness the combustion of coal, gas, and oil, and everything changed. That's because a barrel of oil contains 5.8 million British thermal units worth of energy. Nate Hagens, the director of the Institute for the Study of Energy in Our Future, ran the numbers. One barrel of oil, you all do need to listen to this. One barrel of oil has the same amount of energy of up to 25,000 hours of hard human labor or 12.5 years of work. At $20 per hour, this is $500,000 of labor per barrel. A barrel of oil costs about $70 at this week's market price. To call the energy revolution liberating hardly suffices, suddenly people could easily venture beyond their villages or build dwellings large enough to afford some privacy or stay up all night if they wanted to read. After 4,000 years of economic stasis, we were suddenly in a world where the average standard of living doubled in a matter of decades and then doubled again and again and again and again. And we liked it so much that it became the raison d'etre of our political life. In the United States, the per capita GNP per grew 24% between 1947 and 1960 when Jack Kennedy, campaigning for president, pointed out that Russia's growth rate was three times as fast, a gap he tried to narrow while in office. Between 1961 and 1965, the GNP grew at a rate greater than 5% a year, and the percentage of Americans living in poverty dropped by nearly half the end of the decade. If there was anything Americans agreed on, it was they wanted more. Now, he goes on to say the critique is that we're running out of the ability to do it. 
1972 report commissioned by the Club of Rome titled The Limits to Growth. Use computer models, then a novelty to show that if we kept growing at the then current rate, the planet could expect ecological collapse sometimes toward the middle of the 21st century. And here we are. Our report published in Nature on the last day of May concluded we've already exceeded seven of eight safe and just Earth system boundaries that it studied from groundwater supplies to fertilizer overuse to temperature. We're moving in the wrong direction on basically everything. And so the limits of growth critique has reemerged 50 years on with new vigor. And what this guy proposes essentially is that we should slow down, not necessarily decline, but he does call it degrowth. That we should go to a four-day work week. Because if you're only commuting four days a week to your office instead of five, it's not so bad. We can save save the planet. We can slow down our emissions rates. If we're disincentivizing vacations abroad and encouraging people to go local, we can minimize our carbon footprints. We can do all sorts of things, but all of them prim- are premised on the idea of giving up. That's what the left wants us to do. I think that this is going to be a fairly slow cultural shift, not just in the U.S., but in much of the world, and particularly in places where many people are just starting to eat meat in quantity and have every reason to want a larger home. Climate change is not happening slowly. We've been told by climate scientists around the world that we have to cut emissions in half in six years in order to meet the Paris targets. If we don't, the toll on the poorest of the most vulnerable people will rise sharply. The populist yellow vest movement, initially ignited in the provinces of France by a rise in gas prices and a green tax on diesel, has become a major force in French politics. And imagine what the response would be to most of the proposals in certain quarters of the century. The Green New Deal widely was widely disparaged, owing to a Fox News claim that it would limit hamburger consumption. Here is how Mark Morano, a prominent advocate for the fossil fuel industry, reacted to news of the French flight ban. This is what a climate lockdown looks like. The climate agenda demands you give up airline travel, car travel, cheap, reliable energy, and plentiful food. Net zero goals are now dictating vehicle shortages to force more people into mass transit. They're going after your freedom of movement. They're going after private car ownership. They're going after everything it means to be a free person and turning it over to the administrative state. And that guy isn't wrong, though he's criticized for it. Y'all, we're dealing with eschatological issues. And I need to pause here and acknowledge that I realize my background, and I'm not just a lawyer and didn't just run campaigns. I've been in seminary working on my PhD in theology, et cetera. And and it's it's where my mind goes with these things. And and I don't want to get... Uh, religious and, and lecture you on God here, but you just, you got to understand the term eschatological, the study of the end times. Everyone has a theory about how the world will end. And the secular world that dominates the cultural institutions of our day, 
they have an eschatology and it is bad. It is a bad eschatology. It is also human centric. I honestly, I, I, so Andrew Sullivan is, is a gay writer. He's a political commentator. Uh, he did a podcast with me a couple of weeks ago. I've gotten a lot of lot, lot positive feedback from people. The conversation he had with me, uh, he interviewed me. He's a fascinating writer. I've always, even if we don't agree, I've always been fascinated in what he writes. Uh, he's, he's liberal, but he's not. He's a conservative liberal, if that makes any sense. Uh, he's not a progressive. In fact, he doesn't like much of the progressive agenda. And we were just talking. He's like, I, I, he says, I don't know that I can relate to people who, who are atheists. I don't know that I can relate to someone who wakes up and thinks the whole world is about me and, and there is no God and everything is random chance. And I feel that way, particularly with a wife who has stage four lung cancer. Now, I know atheists because because I get them all the time. And, and you know, they're well-meaning. People reach out they say, how can you believe in a God who gave your wife, wife, wife lung cancer? How can you believe God exists when he's given your wife stage four lung cancer? Like, God didn't give my wife that. We live in a sinful world. Everything got twisted after the fall. And, and, and disease and everything comes from that twist of sin emanating in the world. And, and God loves my wife so much. He came to earth, lived a full and perfect life, died on a cross, rose again, conquered death so that my wife could have everlasting life. That's, that's truly what I believe. I don't believe he gave her sin. And yet these days are like, no, it's just, it's easier to sleep at night to realize that all of this stuff is just random and natural. It's like, it may be easier for you to sleep at night, but it's a hell of a lot harder to get out of bed in the morning thinking that it's a series of atoms colliding and there is no God in charge of this stuff. And the left's atheism and secularism has gotten us to this point with their eschatology where everything is doom and gloom. There can be no joy, not even in the morning, Kamala Harris. There is no joy because we're all going to die. And all of the thought and energy that goes into their existence now is how do we stop the world from ending? The Christian tells you you can't stop the world from ending because we've read the back of the book and it ends with a pale horse and Johnny Cash singing backup music. But to the secularist who's wrapped up in fear of the world burning, which, by the way, even the Bible says the world's going to end in fire. To the secularists, they want to prevent the fire. How do we prevent the fire? Well, we prevent the fire by making everyone just a little more miserable. And because some people won't go along with the agenda, they have to be forced into the agenda. The government must come in and take away your gas stove because you don't want to give it up. The government must come in and regulate cafe standards for, for trucks and cars to make you give up your big SUV. And if the government can convince your girl to become a boy and your boy to become a girl so that they're sterilized and cannot produce more people, well, so much the better for the planet because the more of us, the worse the planet. we got to limit population. So this is why all these mass theories of, of left-wing secularism, whether it's Nazism or communism, and they are all left-wing, they always end in mass murder because the only way to create a heaven on earth is to get rid of the people who don't agree with the vision. And some of them, they're not there. But where they are is, let's just slow everything down. Let's force everyone to slow down. 
let's force you to not work five days a week. We'll make you work four days a week. The American work ethic, even among the laziest Americans, there's still some level of a work ethic that's incompatible with a four-day work week. You may work from home on a Friday, but you're not going to give up work. I couldn't give up work. I love my job. I would have to find a job if I didn't have this job. I live in fear of losing this job. This is my. I, I've had multiple jobs in my life. This is my favorite job. They want you to give up your lifestyle. They want you to give up your way of life. They want you to give up your truck. They want you to give up your plot of land. They want you to give up your rural living. They want you to give up your commute. They want you to give up your food. They want you to give up everything to save a planet that cannot be saved, but that we can adapt to. Sadly, it's going to end in violence. I mean, we're already starting to see this among the environmentalists. Y'all forget in the 1970s, and this is before I was born, there was a bombing a week in California from environmental left-wing groups, a bombing a week. There are radical environmentalists now wreaking terror on the planet. These are just unhappy people, scared of their own shadow, scared of an imminent hell on earth that they think they themselves can prevent if only they force you to give up what you want. And you know how, how do you comment? There actually is a simple solution to this. Laugh, enjoy your life, and defy them. Go live your life. Vote for the people who want to let you live your life. Vote for the people who do not peddle the fear of an imminent hell on earth, but recognize that mankind itself can overcome these problems. You know, in the 1960s and 70s, they were saying we were going to be all out of oil. We were going to be out of precious metals. We were going to be out of everything we needed as a planet to exist. And yet, look, we're pumping more oil now than then. You got the left trying to stop us from producing all the oil that we're capable of producing. They said we wouldn't even have. The, the, the mineral rates on the planet are cheaper now than then. The price of nickel, gold, silver, and the like, actually cheaper now. A more abundant supply. We've been able to tap into, into new reserves. We've been able to recycle it. The innovation of man is something that these people never seem to truly appreciate, that mankind is extremely innovative and can adapt. We do not have to degrow. We do not have to decline. Decline is a choice, and it's one we should refuse to do to save the planet or ourselves because we're not going to save the planet and we'll ruin ourselves if we choose decline. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. I am going to click the line here and talk to Vincent. Welcome to the show, Vincent. How are you? Hey, Eric. How you doing? How I'm great. How I'm about just yourself? listening, and I, and I just wanted to throw it in there because I'm thinking I'm letting my mind, you know, imagine. You should always imagine as you're trying to learn. And the greed, every, we mentioned religion, or you do mention religion, but all of the religions, if you look at them, because I, you know, looked at theology classes and stuff, I've just, all of the religion, the at the height of everything that let's say bad, there's bad and good in all religions. Is is greed? Somehow you wanted more than the other, and it goes back to the caveman. I mean, the caveman came out. He had a shiny rock. He kept looking at it, and it looked like silver. Whatever. He didn't know what silver was. Some other caveman bashed him over the head and picked that rock. It's just <laughs> greed. And no, no, really, he would do that just for the sake of I want the the shiny rock and and the greed. The you see. I heard a lot of definitions of character. I'm going to hang up. I'm not going to keep preaching. But character, the best definition I heard was uh, when you do the right thing, do the right thing when nobody is looking. See, 
Let's yep. say one of these billionaires must name one of them, and they announce how they're going to throw money yes. into this, and they're going to help the poor in Indonesia, and they're going to do this, that, and the other. That's that's not what counts. Do the right thing when nobody's looking, when there's no standing ovation. Yeah, there, there, you character. know, there, there's an that's entire, I, I think, sermon from Jesus on just that, Vincent. Th- thanks for the phone call. Of, of you, you shouldn't be boastful. In charity, you know, listen, we do see this with with the left and and climate change. They want you to give up eating cows and eat bugs so that they don't have to give up their private jets. They can pay the indulgence of carbon offsets to keep flying their jet while you must give up your gas stove uh, for them. I personally want to fly a private jet myself. I don't want to fly it. I want to be flown around in one. Um, It's just it's. It's fascinating to me, and uh, Vincent's onto something here, that the greed of these people, they don't want to give up their lifestyle. They want you to have to give up your lifestyle so that they can sleep well at night. And it is so much of progressivism descends to that. You know, uh, John Adams said that our, our country and our laws and our constitution are for a moral people. And, and I mean, as we increasingly see the immoral run amok in this country, it it does make you wonder how can we, without a respect for the rule of law, given through a moral conscience, continue it. It's I understand some people's pessimism out there, but y'all, I mean, I personally think God's got this. But whether you you're a believer or not, I I, I got to tell you, I think the conservative solutions of reducing government so we are left alone is the way to go instead of having government impose itself on us every which way, which is what the left wants. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.